That's his pro rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Presented by Bridge Bank. Be bold. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Mack. On today's show, how to measure esports and the future of conferences in the age of coronavirus. But first, Facebook, the inside story. That's the title of a new book by veteran tech reporter Stephen Levy, whose prior book chronicled the founding and growth of Google. Levy got pretty extraordinary access from a group of usually buttoned up executives and comes away with a portrait of a company that's often at odds with itself, or at least one in which the mission regularly runs roughshod over those trying to mitigate its more thorny consequences. Why it matters, particularly today, Super Tuesday, is that Facebook has become the primary news source for Americans. It's also the central repository for much of our personal information and one of the few large tech companies that still run almost unilaterally by its primary founder. The future of Facebook is arguably the future of America. And we'll go deeper into that future in 15 seconds with author Stephen Levy. But first, this. The Equity Fund Resources Group at BridgeBank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Offering banking services for funds, partners, and their portfolio companies, BridgeBank's financial solutions are designed for the entire innovation ecosystem. Meet with our team at this year's Women's Private Equity Summit in Dana Point, California, March 11th through the 13th. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. We're joined now by Stephen Levy, editor-at-large at Wired and author of Facebook, The Inside Story. So, Stephen, let's just start with the access question here. You talk early in the book on how it took a while for you to be able to convince Facebook to give you kind of this unprecedented access into the company. Were you usually convinced throughout that process that you'd get there eventually? Or did you think it was really a closed door that didn't have that much chance of opening? I didn't think 100% I was going to get it, but I thought there was an excellent chance. One of the things that I argued to them was that they were doing something really significant and important, and they owed it to history to have an impartial person come in and talk to them and put together their story. I said, look, even if it's not me, it should be somebody, and that worked. Actually, on that history point, you know, you often hear about presidents often, you know, think about their role in history and how the history books will remember them. Do you think Mark Zuckerberg thinks about that? Well, he'll never admit it, but I think it's in his mind. He's building this company, which is intended to have an unbelievable legacy of connecting the world. The legacy has turned into something that doesn't seem so great now, but it does enter his mind, even though he doesn't often talk about that. He just talks about his job in building Facebook and looking over the next horizon for what's happening. So even as this, as he's on this crusade now to win back trust, which is a real hard uh, pull, He's still opening new initiatives that make people say, what's he doing now? He hasn't won back our trust yet, yet he's releasing cryptocurrencies and starting dating features. So that's just his nature, to charge forward. And in the book, I talk about a lot of times he's charged forward fairly recklessly and caused a lot of problems. Let me actually ask about that. You know, all tech companies obviously start with product, you know, long before they get to how they're dealing with regulatory things or policy. Product is always first for a tech company. Policy always comes second. But from your perspective, was policy intentionally kept secondary in the kind of middle and later days of Facebook after it had gotten more mature? Or was that just a byproduct of the way tech companies grow? I think it was a byproduct of the way 
Mark and Cheryl Sandberg, the chief operating officer, split their duties when Cheryl came on. Cheryl was a fantastic hire, a person of gravitas that Mark felt was going to help grow the company to something bigger and look at the the culture. She would take it out of the dorm room culture and make it more scaling to an important corporation. But on the other hand, Mark said, okay, all product and engineering, that's my world. And Cheryl, your world will be the stuff I'm not interested in, like sales and policy, as you mentioned. Even the chief security officer wound up reporting through a couple people to Cheryl. So as a result, chief security officer never had a one-on-one with Mark Zuckerberg, and that's a problem. Does that suggest that Zuckerberg, should he be CEO of this company, or should he be whatever you want to call it, you know, senior vice president of product or of engineer? I think Zuckerberg is so intertwined with Facebook, and they're almost synonymous, that it's difficult to imagine Facebook without him. Two words I never heard in all my reporting of Facebook was succession plan. Do you believe at this point, given everything that's happened over the last, say, since the last election, everything from Russian interference to Cambridge Analytica and on and on, Zuckerberg obviously is able to pay lip service to a lot of these issues, privacy concerns, etc. Do you believe he sincerely has internalized those concerns? It's hard to say. Ultimately, you look at the action. And I think so far, the answer is no. I think that they've done a lot of stuff. But early in the book, you know, Mark was talking about what he called Facebook running by the engineering mindset. And I think they still operate by that, even in, now that their problems go beyond, way beyond product. And they deal a lot with policy and, and issues like that. So I think they've taken this engineering mindset to saying, okay, here's X, we'll fix it. Here's Y, we'll fix it. They've gotten away with that a lot early in, in their history. But to fundamentally change Facebook, maybe not so much. The one thing that they have done, which could change things, is what's called a privacy-focused vision to basically change the focus of a lot of what they do to the companies now it's part of Facebook that they bought like Instagram and WhatsApp and the messenger product they built up from scratch to make it more encrypted end to end so people's privacy are protected that way. But still, all the data is available to Facebook. And I think that's the thing they're not budging off of. They're also integrating those end-to-end encryption in part to make it harder to break, literally to break them up uh, if the Department of Justice wants that done. Speaking of which, let me ask kind of about Instagram and WhatsApp. You've covered Facebook. You wrote about the, the founding and the growth of Google. When you see what's happened with Instagram and with WhatsApp, not as products, but the founders of those companies and the cultures of those companies and what's happened over the past year with them all leaving, does that make it harder from your perspective for Facebook to make its next kind of game-changing acquisition? In other words, do founders look at that and say, you know what, the culture won't fit there ultimately. I'll ultimately be shown the door. Well, it's definitely going to constrain Facebook. The big irony I found is that one of the most traumatic things that happened to Mark during the course of Facebook was when he had difficulty convincing his investors and the executives around him, even some of his uh, employees in 2006, when Yahoo tried to buy him for a billion dollars, an incredible amount for a small company like that. He felt, no, we should not take this. There's great things ahead for us. And he had a lot of trouble keeping that vision and turning down that money. And then he found himself in the position of Yahoo a couple years later with Instagram and WhatsApp and um, Snapchat, which he didn't convince. But he got those founders who didn't really want to sell to buckle under him by this playbook he had devised, I get into in detail, which involves kind of a shock and awe push where he's personally involved. He promises them independence, and he throws so much money at them, their investors you know, want to shoot them if they didn't take the money. So now can't do that because multi-billion dollar acquisition is not going to pass muster with the FTC or the Justice Department. 
anytime, go back decades, generations, whatever is the kind of biggest, uh, arguably most monopolistic company at the time in any sector always looks unbeatable, right? Going back to, you know, railroads and U.S. Steel and now Facebook, Google, et cetera. Is there any reason for us to believe that in 10 years, in 20 years, Facebook will not be as powerful as it is today, let alone more powerful? Sure. Of course there is, because that's the way, as you know, technology works. And this is why Zuckerberg bought Oculus. Facebook had a near-death experience in mobile. People don't recall that in 2012, just about the time they were going public, and that's why their IPO was such a train wreck, that they were having difficulties figuring out how to monetize mobile or even make that shift where, you know, the company itself was thinking mobile first. They did get over that. They did succeed at that. But Mark was scarred by that. And when he saw the virtual reality, he thought, oh, my God, maybe this is the next mobile. We have to be ahead of this and maybe even own it. Now, I'm not sure that virtual reality is the next mobile. Uh, It could be something entirely different, in which case, Facebook could be overthrown by something that comes along the line. That's where you usually see these companies fail is when something else comes along. The book is called Facebook, The Inside Story. The author is Stephen Levy. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Dan. Have a great day. My final two right after this. The equity fund resource group at BridgeBank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Leveraging nearly two decades of expertise delivering solutions to emerging technology and growth companies, BridgeBank now offers services for funds, SBICs, and general partners including creative credit solutions, robust treasury management capabilities, and a suite of international banking services. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Be bold, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is eSports, which manages to fill giant sports arenas for its tournaments in which players rarely move from their swivelly chairs. One of the emerging industry's biggest challenges so far, though, has been accurately measuring its audience, particularly in comparison to traditional live sports. And Axios' Sarah Fisher reports this morning that one of the largest eSports leagues, Riot Games' League of Legends, is now working with Nielsen to create the first ever comprehensive measurement system for viewership of eSports broadcasts. Key to this new system will be including both live broadcast viewership and post-event video, both on-demand and replay. This is particularly important in esports because its popularity spans wide time zones, with the US and South Korea being among its top fandoms. If this works, expect other esports leagues to sign up with Nielsen. And finally, Facebook yesterday announced that it will not participate in the giant South by Southwest tech conference due to coronavirus fears. This comes just one day after Twitter did the same and a petition emerged signed by thousands asking the conference organizers to cancel. But South by Southwest is standing firm, saying it's proceeding as planned and working in coordination with local, state, and national health officials. This means that South by Southwest could become the test case for other upcoming tech events, many of which are led by business and trade publications that really need the proceeds to subsidize their journalism. If South by goes off without a hitch, or really without an infection, then others may follow suit. But if someone does get sick, let alone dies, cancellation will become the status quo. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national mold wine day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.